Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, at this point, you're invited to open up your Bibles uh, to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, that's on page 118. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 17 again. And you're also invited to turn to First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 8 there. Uh, we're continuing in our series, the, the second tablet, where we're looking at commandments uh, 5 through 10. And the theme that we're doing as we look at the second tablet is freedom for. Uh, so we're, we're looking beyond like the, the rule that is in there towards... What is God's will for us in our living? Uh, What are we freed into under God's salvation? And one of our guides in looking at this is the the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Heidelberg Catechism still, the, the the Heidelberg Catechism is something that was written by a 26 and 28 year old. Um, They were the primary authors um, back about 450 years ago. And even though they were young writers, uh, this document was spread all over Europe and, and across the world and became one of the most um, helpful t- teachings in the midst of the Reformation uh, towards what does Scripture say. And that's one of the reasons why in the Christian Reformed Church we have it as uh, a confessional document, which means we, we look towards it to um, good teaching about Scripture. And we're following it throughout this series because um, it it goes back to Scripture time and time again, and and you're encouraged to look at how um, it resources Scripture in in explaining uh, the Ten Commandments in the way that it does. Now, let's open God's Word together. First, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I've titled uh, the sermon for today, Freedom in Our Sexuality. 
For many, uh, that might seem like a bit of a typo in there. Um, According to some Christians, freedom is perhaps the last word that we'd want to use with regards to our sexuality. That's, That's kind of what our culture is trying to promote. In the midst of the shouts of freedom from the rooftops, we are called to to repress sexuality. We're supposed to focus on restrictions. Uh, But that's not necessarily what the Bible has. This is not something that we are to suppress and to be ashamed of, but something that we are called to celebrate and find joy in the goodness of how God created us. We can look back to passages like Genesis that affirm that sexuality is part of the goodness of our creation. Now, during our series, we're focusing on that word freedom, noting each Sunday that the the definition of freedom is more than just restrictions. It's more than just freedom from something, but it's freedom into something. And I want us all to be aware of, as we start, how quickly we can default back to that definition of freedom, that freedom is only freedom from something. When we hear the words freedom in our sexuality, we are conditioned to think freedom from restrictions alone. Uh, We can default back to the cultural messaging around us that we need to be able to express ourselves as I want, when I want. But as we've been reflecting for the past few weeks, that this could potentially be a very unfree way of thinking, a profoundly unfree way of living. That freedom involves that plus. It involves that help that we need to live into something. So when we started the sermon series, there was an example of of addiction of addiction to alcohol, how if we had all the funds that we, that we needed and we had access to liquor stores, that doesn't make someone who is an alcoholic free. They are still profoundly unfree if they don't have that extra help and the extra healing that's needed for them. Now, that can also be related in how we look at sexuality. There's a term that was coined in Uh, 1980 of sex addiction. Um, And a lot of celebrities have claimed this, uh, especially in the last 10 or 15 years. You've probably seen it in different headlines. I just want to note one important thing about that term. What these people are saying when they say that they have a sex addiction is that they feel helpless. They feel like they are trapped. They feel like their own desires are ruling them. While it looks like it's freedom that they have found, it has left them feeling empty and and a slave to their desires. What they need is someone to come alongside them to help them live into the wholeness that they were meant for. True freedom involves a community that leads to decisions that lead towards true life. It means seeking the healing that is needed to be able to make decisions that don't lead to the cycle of hurt and of emptiness. Uh, That's what I mean when we have this title here of freedom in our sexuality. It's freedom for something that leads to our wholeness. Now, when we looked at our commandment this morning, do not commit adultery, we will do what we've been doing for the last number of weeks. We're going to look and imagine to see what 
type of freedom that this points us towards. And when we look at this one, we'll see that the freedom that God invites us in is all-encompassing. We can think of of a term that's popular in reform circles of uh, every square inch, where there is not a square inch, there is nothing in creation that God's redemption doesn't extend to. And as uncomfortable as it might be for some people, that includes our sexuality. That includes every bit. The line um, that's being recovered there of every square inch is one that goes in contrast to what our culture often looks at in terms of religion. Our culture wants to say, well, it's, it's fine that you can worship on Sunday mornings in your place, you, you can do your private devotionals, but keep what is religious kind of private. Don't take that into your public spaces, don't take that in your day-to-day, just use it in the way that it helps you in those confined spaces. But that understanding of scripture and of religion doesn't line up with what we find in the Bible. As God's people, we have always been about total transformation. As God handed down the Ten Commandments to the people, his instructions for covenant living, when he's saying this is what it means to be a worshiping people, this is what it means to be people who follow me, he doesn't just give a set list for what songs to sing on Sunday mornings. He doesn't give a, a full description of one particular day of the week or devotional times. What comes up here is commandments that are full of how to treat other people. And this might sound confusing to someone who thinks that God is only about spiritual things, uh, that we're praying enough or that, that we're attending church enough times. Uh, The the list of things include a lot towards how do we orient ourselves towards others? How do we treat other people? How do we deal with our possessions? We live in a society that thinks that gods have very little interest in our bodies since they're more interested in these spiritual matters. But the God of Israel and the God of the church is clearly opinionated on such things. So the commandment before us today, do not commit adultery, enters into the world of sexuality. This God has the the boldness to address sexual behavior. This God doesn't just care about what happens on Sunday mornings, but what happens in the places that people consider most private and most personal. And this isn't because this God is particularly nosy, but God, as the creator of all things, is aware that our sexuality can be a place where we get things wrong. Uh, This is is a place where things can go askew, and it can cause deep hurts, both to others, to a community, to ourselves. Now, when the command singles out one way, that sexual behavior can cause hurt, Christians looking at the Ten Commandments and looking at this commandment in particular have opened it up much broader than that. The Heidelberg Catechism, which I I mentioned earlier, when it talks about this Seventh Commandment, says that God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts, and desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. 
It's, it's not content in simply saying we should avoid this one thing. The catechism looks at it and notes that the Christians are called into a way of living that extends into absolutely everything. How we talk, what we look at, what we think about. And this is a lesson from 450 years ago that the church would do well to remember. We often allow our conversations around sexuality to be dominated in terms of the culture or we're famed for fixating on particular aspects of sexuality while ignoring what might be some of the more pervasive um, ways that our sexuality is distorted. Um, and this is perhaps most clearly seen in pornography. Uh, there's plenty that we can say about the damaging effects of pornography, um, how it impacts the way that we view sex and, and all of that, but to start, I want to highlight that when we talk about sexuality, that that might actually be one of the most important things that we talk about today. If statistics are any indication, this is directly impacting a number of people in our church and is something being introduced to our children at young ages. So in light of that, I'm going to have a few statistics here. Um, and some of these might grab your attention a little bit, and that's okay. Um, the first one, on one website. One website, over the span of one year, 4.6 billion hours of porn was watched. That was 2017. Um, that adds to 5,000 centuries in one year on one website. Looking at the, the pandemic, so that was pre-pandemic, how have things changed? Well, in the first month of the pandemic, as uh, people started being in isolation, there was an immediate 6% increase globally. Um, over time, that increased to about 24%. Uh, there were uh, companies like Pornhub that would make a free subscription to entire countries. So when Italy went to lockdown, they generously gave a free subscription and you saw 60% increases in those spaces. Uh, when it comes to Christians, uh, we have proven that we're not immune to this either. It has been um, in a 2016 poll that 65% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women um, self-report that they watch porn at least once a month, and church leadership fares a little bit better. Um, that same poll says one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors um, report using porn on a regular basis. Uh, a final note on the statistics here. Uh, sometimes it can be said that this is primarily something that we're supposed to educate our, our children on, um, and it's, uh, the, the statistics are higher amongst the teens, um, but in the, the study that I looked at from 2016, the oldest demographic that was used was um, men from 50 to 68, and there was still 50%, again, for regular use of porn. Uh, if, if that teaches us anything, it's that this isn't something that we simply relegate to younger people, but this is something that we need to be able to contend with at this broader systemic level. 
Now, before I get rid of this slide, I want you to pay attention to how you feel as you look at some of these statistics. Perhaps there's anger. Uh, why, why is there so much abuse taking place? Uh, why is there so much uh, disorder in, in our sexual lives? Maybe it's fear. Uh, what, what hope is there in this society? What, what hope is there for our children? Maybe it's shame. You know that you're part of these statistics. Whatever emotion that you have when you look at these, one that we should be having is that of empathy. Um, and that's because these aren't just statistics. I, I went through the numbers fairly quickly there. But behind all of these statistics is our stories. And when you hear people's stories around these, you'll find that people often describe themselves as feeling trapped. Having tried to quit, they come back to it. It's, they, they use the very same language of addiction, returning to something despite wanting to stop. To think back to this image that we started with, with freedom. Freedom is not, first, a, a removal of barriers. It's, or it's not only that. But it does include a removal of barriers. It's a removal plus something else. So when we, when we think about this, uh, it's not simply um, freedom to have a cell phone or computer and internet access and no filters. Um, Christians believe in, in a freedom from, but our freedom from, from is deeper than that. Um, through Jesus, we are offered uh, forgiveness in the midst of our sexual sin as well. We're free from guilt and we're free from shame. We're free from the payment of sin. And we don't need to have the things that we've done continue to weigh us down. Uh, and this is something I think that's worth dwelling on for a moment here. Uh, one of the problems that has been noted in, in Christian circles is that people feel so guilty over these things that they are unable to forgive themselves. They are unable to see how God can forgive them, and in the process, they've kind of made themselves the judge over things. Um, they, their, their placement of judge over themselves takes precedence over how God views them. And part of the antidote, part of the healing that needs to take place for people is being able to sit before God and truly believe that through Jesus we are set free from our sins, that when we repent, we repent and turn to him, that we are offered forgiveness, that we are offered a true and a deep freedom from whether it's sexual sin or whether it's anger, whether it's coveting what your neighbor has, whatever the case, we are called to confess and turn from it. So the, the, the question or the, the application, the implication from this is, can we do that? Are you able to listen intently enough to God and God's word to allow his forgiveness to sink in? Are you able to forgive yourself, 
to believe that you are truly forgiven. And that is that depth of a freedom for. Uh, But we don't stop there, of course. We need and depend on the daily renewal of the Holy Spirit to depend on, to form us more into the likeness of Christ. Christian freedom is one that involves having others to help and guide us. It acknowledges that we have always been people known in community. Movement towards wholeness means that we're going to need others to journey with us. It will certainly involve having God, through the Holy Spirit, renew us daily and work towards sanctification. When it comes to uh, pornography, one of the defenses in in the culture is that it's a victimless crime, and and there's all sorts of defenses that we can have against that. Um, This multi-billion dollar industry is full of abuses. Uh, Beyond that, there's distortions on how we view sex and our our sexuality. Uh, But today, I want to focus on one aspect, since we've, we've looked at that a little bit more deeply. And that is a key point that we've looked at in regards to sexuality in the past. It's that our sexuality is something that is meant to draw us outward. It is meant to draw us towards others. That that we have something built within us that says that it is not good to be alone. It's this God-given desire that tells us that we are meant for others, and the gospel good news regarding our sexuality is that we are rescued and able to um, properly love, in proper self-giving, and the receiving of love, to, to, to the freedom that we were meant for. If sin is about alienation, if it's about the the breaking of relationships, if it's about pride and the inward focusing on oneself, the gospel is about mending. It is about recovering. So in light of this, like, you should be able to see how, how pornography is a distortion of God's intent for sexuality. It flips it and makes it all about you. It takes a desire and an act that is meant to be about another person and a deep connection with another human and distorts it to something about you. And rather than making you feel more fulfilled, it causes this feeling of emptiness. Um, In in describing why that is the case, uh, Calvin University professor uh, Rebecca DeYoung uh, compares it to gluttony. Uh, So just to give a little bit of a picture of gluttony. um, Gluttony is when somebody notices that they have this desire in themselves for for food, um, but it it gets tied in with this other um, unending desire that we have, a a spiritual desire for, for something bigger, something out there. Now, without realizing it, the glutton tries to fill that spiritual desire by indulging in all the different types of foods that they can. And no matter how much they eat, they cannot satisfy it because they're not trying to fulfill a physical desire. They're trying to fulfill something spiritual. So then maybe they will go from eating just lots of food to different delicacies. They'll try different exotic foods, but that still doesn't satiate the desire because, again... They are trying to fill something temporary or something uh, unending and insatiable with just 
these temporary feelings. And it gets worse. Um, in misdiagnosing our spiritual hunger, that the glutton can't actually fully appreciate food for what it is. Food isn't put in its proper place. It represents just another fleeting pleasure, something that can make them feel good at the moment but feels empty again the next. No delicacy can ultimately end this pursuit. And that same sort of understanding can be brought into our understanding of sexuality. When we turn sexuality into fulfillment, we can go wherever for our desires, uh, wherever they take us, but it doesn't actually lead to that greater fulfillment in the end. Our selfish pleasure-seeking just um, reveals that our pursuits leave us empty and trapped. The inevitable result, this this is the inevitable result of trying to fill a spiritual longing with a temporary pleasure. So in light of that, what is sexuality in its proper place? Um, First, what it is not. Um, It's not the single place where we find fulfillment, and it's not the place where we turn to make ourselves feel okay in the world. Um, We don't have our soul cravings and our soul longings satisfied by following after these desires. In fact, when we start to see that it's just about us and about me and about fulfilling my desires, we're missing the central component Uh, that it's about another person. Our our sexual desires are there not to draw us inward, but outward and towards others. And real, authentic love is about loving someone not because of how they make you feel. It's not what the other person uh, can do for you, but as, again, Rebecca DeYoung notes, the hallmark of love is the freedom of giving oneself for another. Uh, This is something that distinguishes love from lust. Lust is only concerned with yourself. It's a a selfish desire where love draws us outward towards the other person. A gospel-changed person is a person that isn't, they're not freed from sexuality, but they're a person free to see that we can be people who give ourselves fully to others. So the the catechism, um, looking at the seventh commandment, it notes that we are to take every bit of our sexuality seriously. And one of the the Bible passage that it cites is 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 to 8. As we've noted, it, it cites these different Bible passages in the comments that it's making. And in this passage we find that Paul is also directing us towards a type of freedom for here. Just note the language here. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. You're to act in a way that is holy and honorable, and you are to live a holy life. Notice that it speaks first about being sanctified. Uh, do, do we know what sanctification is about? It's kind of a theological term. But sanctification is about growing in our likeness of God. We are to be holy as God is holy. It's about being formed by the Spirit to live as we were meant to. It's about becoming, through God's work in us, people that avoid the things that, that trap us, that make us slaves to ourselves and our own desires. 
There's an affirmation in here that we are called into a holy living in imitation of God. And in contrast to the way that we had lived before. In the language that we had talked about again earlier on in the series, this is the taking off of the old self and the putting on of the new self. That new self that is in that imitation of Christ. Eugene Peterson, as he gives a paraphrase of that passage, I think helpfully summarizes it in the end, saying that God has invited us, or God hasn't invited us into disorderly and unkempt life, but into something that is holy and beautiful, as beautiful on the inside as on the outside. So as as we point ourselves towards that beauty, something that is beautiful inside and out. We need to be people who take seriously the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we desire. We need to be able to offer these things before God. So the invitation for you is, are, are we able to do that? Are we able to do that with our whole selves? Nothing left out. Are you willing to walk with brothers and sisters that are struggling? Are you willing to be a person who patiently helps someone in the midst of their healing? Are you able to live into that beautiful call to be people who don't just remain isolated, but are for others, serving each other, allowing ourselves to be served? Whether married or single, this is a call to be living into a deep care for others in our community. So let's reaffirm here. We have something in here that we are meant to live towards. God created us to give ourselves to one another in love. And when we distort that, we don't act freely, but we find emptiness and slavery to ourselves. Our call is to live into that freedom that we were meant for, to live as a kind of people that God created us to be. So may we do so with God's help. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, sexuality is a challenging subject. Uh, Some of us are embarrassed to even talk about it or to hear about it. Uh, It sometimes feels like it would be better if we just left this out or didn't address it. But Lord, to do so would deny a fundamental good that you have created us for. Help us to see the ways that we distort what is good. Help us to see the ways that we harm ourselves and others in our actions, in our speech, and in our thoughts. Many here are caught in guilt and shame in their past. May they have the confidence to come before you with all that they are. May they confess freely and openly, knowing that you can bring what is most secret, most private, most intimate before you. Knowing that you are not surprised by us or our history, that you love us in the midst of our mess, that you love us so much that you died for us, that we may come into renewed relationship with you. So may we accept that the forgiveness you give, that we may also accept ourselves. Lord, in your presence, 
we bring our wounds, our loneliness, our emptiness, and find that you are the great healer. Bring deep healing that enables us to live into the life that you desire for us, seeking to do your will, that we may see it done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.